0: I begin with a quote. I am tasked at this point with dealing a lot with leadership. God has blessed me with a lot of folks that I play a role within their life and in their development within the local church. And so I really don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm I'm trying to read and I'm trying to study and I listen to podcasts and I and I try to Build upon what I do know to, to know more. And in listening to one of those podcasts from a source that I, I very much enjoy, I very much trust a lot of the of the advice and the structure. In the midst of that, a, a person on that podcast made, and, and this was in the context of a of a season or a session that was dealing with how to have tough conversations, how to have conflict, how to ultimately, if you need to fire someone. And in the midst of that, one of the participants in the podcast made this statement, quote, I am not going to remediate character. That's not my job. If you have a character problem, that's going to end in your either immediate or eventual termination. Character like honesty, that was kind of like elementary school stuff. And I contrast that human and even identifiable sentiment with truth. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said this. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, there is a sentiment that because we change the rules on what matters and doesn't matter, there are those with good character, good moral values, good ways of thinking, and there are those with bad. And the problem with this sentiment is that Those who, according to the changed rules, have good character, no longer have a problem. I have good character. And those who fall short of that changed standard, as this quote from the podcast said, there's nothing I can do about it. They just got bad character. Can I break some news to everybody here? None of us, not a single one of us has good character. When you compare it to the standard, God's standard, what we were intended to be. And so I'm here this morning, this afternoon, to address both the Pharisee and the publican. For those of you that know the story of the Pharisee and the publican standing in the synagogue, that's what I'm alluding to. To those of you that don't, simply Google it. Pharisee publican scripture. It will come up and will give you the story that Jesus told. The one who has changed the standard to assess themselves acceptable. That's the Pharisee. When you find yourself a Pharisee, it is because you have changed the standard in order that when you assess yourself, you are acceptable. But I'm also here to speak to the one who, as Jesus' story tells us, admits that they have failed to meet the standard. One changes the standard in order to make the cut. The other admits they have failed failed to meet the standard. My message to the Pharisee this morning, which I'm not going to dwell upon, but I still say it to you, and I hesitated even the strength of this tone, and yet I still feel this is what God wants me to say. My message to the Pharisee is that you are a hypocrite. And you need to repent. If you change the standard and define yourself then as good, When scripture says everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's standard. You need to get off your high horse. You need to step back from your hypocrisy. And you need to humble yourself into a place of repentance. But listen carefully. My message to the publican is not that different. My message to the publican is that you may repent. What is common between both messages is we are made right with God when we own that we do not have good character. And so this morning I want to explore for just a few minutes with you grace, the antidote to bad character. Grace, the antidote to bad character. Because I am telling you flat out as much as I understand the sentiment that was being stated within this podcast, and as much as I understand that there are circumstances where perhaps an employer is going to need to fire an employee, in the house of God, among our brothers and our sisters, there is no place for any of us considering that we have good character. The moment we accept that proposition... The moment that that becomes a fact for us. And we who are trying very hard to live holy and righteous. We who are trying to be what God has called us to be. We might think that if we do what I'm telling you has to happen. Then what we're going to do is affirm sin. And as the Apostle Paul in many of his writings would say. "Megineto, God forbid. It should not be so. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Acknowledgement of bad character is not affirmation of bad character. Acknowledgement of brokenness is not affirmation of brokenness. But what it is, is that when we acknowledge that we are broken, when we acknowledge that we fall short, when we acknowledge that while we may not have a problem with this sin, we have a problem with this one. What this does is it places us in a place where grace can reach us. Again, I'm alluding before I turn to my text of Scripture in the book of Romans and Ephesians, I want you to understand that Jesus had only one set of people that he was unable to reach. It was those who did not consider themselves lost. He says, I came as a physician. I came to help the sick, and I can help those who own that they are sick, but I can't help those who declare they're not sick. Because if you're not sick, if you're not broke, if you don't own that you're falling short, if you don't stare at that and realize that, then you're not going to listen, and you're not going to receive the operation of the most powerful force in all of the universe, namely grace. Grace. Now to back this up, to give you a little bit of background here, let me turn you to Romans chapter 7. As most of you know, and if you don't, let me remind you, this is written by the Apostle Paul. It is written to a church that he has never been to. In fact, he has heard, they have heard, excuse me, accusations of him, and they're not really trusting him. They're not sure that they really like Paul. History tells us that there's a really good chance that this church in Rome actually started out of several Jewish synagogues wholesaling, completely converting and accepting Jesus as the Messiah when proselytes from Rome were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and then they went home. And they went back to those synagogues and they shared what they experienced on the day of Pentecost and several synagogues convert. So these are very Jewish people. That's why if you've ever wondered how could Paul write so Jewish in the book of Romans, it's probably because he was writing to a congregation that while it was growing in Gentile converts, its its foundational members were Jewish. He's trying to exonerate himself. He's trying to recapture their trust. He's trying to explain to them. And notice what he says. So you're trying to earn the respect of a group of people who live their lives by the measurement of their obedience to the law. Paul's either stupid or he's got a point. So in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 7, he says, Well then, Am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, the law, it's what showed me my sin. He said, I would have never known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. And some of you may remember having come to God. Some of us grew up within the church and there's never been a day because of our parents that we didn't know what was right or wrong. And I'm thankful for that. But some of you remember when you lived in the world. Some of you remember the day in which you did not know right from wrong. I've had new converts come into church and I can tell they don't know what's right from wrong. They have no idea that what they're doing is wrong. That's why we must be patient. That's also why we cannot be Pharisees. They don't yet know. They haven't heard the word of God. They haven't heard the law of God. They haven't heard any of these pieces. So Paul says, until the law came, until it was said to me, you shall not covet, I didn't even know what I was doing. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. But because I've been told not to do something or I've been told to do something, anybody in the house know what I'm talking about, everything's fine till somebody tells you no or somebody tells you do. there's something that rears up within you. Why didn't you say please? <laughs> there's just this there's just, there's this thing within us that goes, be telling me what to do. Well, that's what happens. The law of God, truth, righteousness steps into our life, and it says, hey, stop that, or start that, and something rears up in us, and and suddenly we're flooded with all of these things. Sin uses this command, Paul says, to arouse all kinds of covetous desires. Verse 9, he says, at one time I lived without understanding the law. I lived in ignorance. I had no idea what was right or wrong. And by the way, we, this is a side note, we live in a culture in which there are many people that have no idea what is right or wrong. The church flourished in that culture, so stop being despondent about it. Just start letting the light of the gospel go forth. The church flourished in a culture that didn't even know there was a one true God, didn't even know that his name was Jesus. They thought Jesus was a convict that they hung on a tree. Come on now. If the gospel can work then, the gospel can work now. Stop despairing. That's foolishness. It just means you've gotten lazy. It means I've gotten lazy. We like talking to people who have a few set of assumptions agreed upon. You don't need anybody who agree to any assumptions. Let the light of the gospel go forth. So Paul says, at one time I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the commands, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. So if the law is right, if God's commands are true and righteous, And you and I fight them. What does that say about our character? Oh, so we're going to cherry pick which ones of the commands we don't have a problem with. And we're going to assess ourselves on those commands. And I now have good character. Jesus bowled a bowling ball through that. He says, you say. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, I never intended you to lust after each other. Okay, people. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We fall short of God's standard. And don't tell me just because you got married it stopped. No, it didn't. We gussy it up. We clean it up. We we move the standard so that we pass. Jesus took another one. The law says thou shalt not murder. Why I never killed anybody. And Jesus said, the moment you open your mouth to speak ill of your brother or your sister, you've killed them. Jesus didn't move the standard. Jesus just uncovered what has always been the standard. So my reality is, is with Paul. Let me not get ahead of myself. He goes on, he says, how can that be? Did the law which is good cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So, we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So, the trouble is not with the law, it's not with truth, it's not with God. For it is spiritual and it is good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. A slave to sin. I love this little phrase we have. We have good character, and then the stuff that we've moved the line on, we go, oh, I'm, just, I, I'm just human. This is what the Scripture says. I am all too human, a slave to sin. That, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free get card. Sorry. I'm just human. No, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't let me off the hook. The fact that I'm human doesn't let me off the hook. The fact that I'm human says I'm a sinner. The fact that I'm human says I've fallen short. The fact that I'm human says I'm broken. That's exactly the problem. That's why I'm looking at us and saying, no, none of us have good character. We all fall short of God's standard. There's none that doeth righteousness. No, not one. Now, are you depressed yet? Stay with me. I'm not going to leave you depressed. But it, it is a little depressing. Paul goes on. He says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I know a lot of scholars have tried to say this was Paul rhetorically speaking. It wasn't really about him. He was speaking on behalf of all of humanity. Those who had not yet... (laughs) Uh, that's not the way it sounds to me, and that's not the way it sounded to that church in Rome that already suspected this guy. And so he's introducing himself to him, and he says, by the way, every time I want to do good, I do wrong. I do what I hate. That's not the way to make a sale, Stan. They already suspect you of being a reprobate. They already suspect you of being a godless man. And now you're going to tell them every time that you want to do what is right, oh, thumbs up for wanting to do what's right, but every time, you do wrong. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, if the knowledge of the law, of the word, of the truth, lets me know that I'm doing wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Here's the key. you got to call wrong, wrong, church. You cannot call wrong, right. And if you hear me today, you won't go to the next step and take that to condemnation. You'll take that to grace. But stay with me on that. I'm not the one doing wrong, he says in verse 17. It is sin living in me that does it. It is my broken nature that is causing me to do it. And I know, listen to what Paul says here, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Oh, there goes my good character. Hmm. Paul don't have good character. I guarantee you I don't. If Paul doesn't have good character, where do you get off saying you have good character? If Paul doesn't have good character, what? where are we? Last time I checked, I haven't written any scripture. I don't care how many degrees I got and how smart I think I am, I still haven't written any scripture. Preached out of the scripture, but I haven't written any scripture. Paul says, I know that nothing good lives in me, I am broken. Now, you don't stay there. That's not where the gospel will leave you. It will not leave you in that place, but it cannot take you out of that place if you don't own that that's your reality. There's not good character in you, it is not elementary school. You're not supposed to fix this when you're a little kid. There's no way for you to even understand what's going on then. No, we all have bad character, we all fall short, we all are broken. I want to do what is right, he says, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. It is that broken character. In other words, Paul is creating a separation between what we were meant to be and what we are. You cannot become, listen to me very carefully, you cannot become what you were meant to be if you do not be honest about what you are. I'm going to say it again. You cannot become what you were meant to be unless you are honest about what you are. The moment you lie to yourself, the moment you move the standard, the moment that you try to make it feel better, you lock yourself into a broken state. But pastor, preacher, if I really stare at how broken I am, it's overwhelming. If I really look at the thoughts and intents of my heart as the word of God slices into me and Opens it up, and I, and I realize that I'm, there's nothing good in me. I'm overwhelmed. How do I live that way? Paul experienced the same thing. He said, I discovered this principle of life, verse 21, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong kind of a summation, whether the right is to do something or to refrain from something. Regardless, if I am supposed to do right, I inevitably do wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. This is why you can't change the standard. You've got to love that standard with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. No matter how far you're falling short of it, you've got to love it. No matter how much you are not living up to it, you've got to love it. No matter how much you've got to learn and to grow in it, you've got to love it. You've got to sell out to it. Even when it condemns you, you must call it out as truth. He says, but even though I love the law of God, there's another... Power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Paul understood what you're talking about. Paul understood personally. That's why I don't believe that it's rhetorical. I don't believe it's just representing humanity. No, no, no. He's sitting there and he's trying to figure out how could I, the one who loved the law with everything from my youth, studied with the Rabbi Gamaliel, was on the peak of everything. I was doing everything right and in the midst of doing everything right, I murdered. See, you've got to come Dear saint of God, you've got to come to a place where you recognize that you don't have the answer. You've got to come to the place where you recognize it is not going to be by how I operate because I can't get it straight. Even when I think I'm doing right, I find out I'm doing wrong. Even when I think I'm on the right course, I've done something wrong. Even when I think that I'm living the way I should live, I find out that I'm broken still. No matter how much I try. Sin's present with me. No matter how much I try to do right, I do wrong. It's a miserable place. He goes on to ask the question, who will free me from this life that is dominated from sin and death? You can't free yourself. That's the problem with Phariseeism because it's by my deeds. It's by my actions. If I'm just obedient a little bit longer, if I'm just faithful a little bit longer, if I get more brownie badges a little bit longer, if I earn the perks, I'll reach the point where I'm okay. No, you cannot deliver yourself from the body of this death. You cannot deliver yourself from this place of sin and death. And he goes on in verse 25. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You mean it's all about him. Mm-hmm. You mean it's not about me, correct? Well, but but I play a part, right? Not in saving yourself, you don't. Know. What about James? Faith without works is dead. Your works only show that you believe. They don't save you. I'm I'm safe here, right? I believe in Jesus' name, baptism. Every single person I baptize, I baptize in the name of Jesus. But you are not saved by baptism in Jesus' name. That doesn't save you. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I speak in tongues more than you all, to quote Paul. You are not saved by speaking in tongues. Jesus says, Except ye repent, you'll all likewise perish. You are not saved by repentance. Repentance didn't change your wrong. No, these are all actions that are responses to you believing. Believing what? Believing an offer. Believing something that has been offered to you. Now we love to quote Romans chapter 8, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this morning to tell you that you can't understand Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 until you've read Romans chapter 7 that I just read to you. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 is built upon the foundation of Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 8 is the result of a recognition that every time I go to do good, sin is present with me. Every time I go to do right, I do sin. So now there is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. Oh. Ownership. How many of you want to be owned by somebody? We live in a modern era. I have to be careful. Because if the wrong audience is listening, I can get into trouble. That is my wife. I'll get into trouble. Change your wife. You don't own her. What are we back in the dark ages? Okay. And I get it. We're not interested in ownership. We're not interested in this idea of somebody else owning us. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you that you have no chance for release from sin unless you are bought with a price. You have no chance to be released from your sin unless you are bought with a price. Thank God that he's good. Thank God that he's righteous. Thank God that he's kind. Thank God that he's merciful. But do not make a mistake. Jesus Christ went to Calvary. He went to a cross. He shed his blood. He died and he bought you. What? Know ye not that you are not your own? That you were bought with a price? That God owns you? The only way there's no condemnation, the only way there is no frustration with my bad character is the realization that God bought me lock, stock, and barrel. He bought me with all my brokenness. He brought me with all of my fractures. He bought me with everything that's wrong with me. And he owns me, and he's happy to own me. But God's holy and he's righteous. How can he be happy to own me? Oh, that's the part I'm getting to. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Truth was present, but we couldn't live up to it. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. I read to you earlier from Romans chapter 3 that everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. What I didn't tell you is that is buried in the midst of a very positive statement. Let me read the context to you. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. With all due respect to the quote that I began with, I don't care what your character is. If you'll believe in the promise of God, you can be made right with God. You can be made right with God. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This is why I declare to you today that as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, musicians, musicians, if you would come, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. You can't buy it. You can't solicit it. You can't do anything. It is something He freely gave to you. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Can't walk around and say, I learned about honesty in elementary school. I learned not to cheat when I was in kindergarten. I'm a good and upstanding person. Pharisee, please hear me. You're being a hypocrite. All you've done is move the standard. To those of you that may be sitting here and you're looking around and you're seeing people and you're going, I can't live like them. If You knew what was in my heart. say there was no hope for me. To you I say cry the publican's prayer. Lord have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Jesus ended that parable, that story, whether true or or simply made up with a question. Who do you think went home made right with God? Not the one who stood and says, God, I thank you that I'm not as sinful as Francie. I thank you that I'm a cut above stand. I got my problems, but at least I'm not Nathan. No. That won't make you right. That won't fix your brokenness. That won't deal with your issue. No, stand before a righteous God and call out to Him everything that's wrong with you. Call out to Him everything that's broken in you. Be honest with Him about everything, all the deepest and the darkest and the most hidden pieces of you. Don't hide from it, and don't let a church tell you that you got to hide from it. Call out your brokenness, because God loves a broken heart, and He never rejects a contrite spirit are new every day. And His grace is greater than sin. It will always conquer sin. It will always redeem the sinner. You will not be lost. You're saved by His grace when you believe. For you are God's masterpiece. Huh, I don't feel like a masterpiece. I feel like a bunch of broken pieces that are somehow cobbled together. And even when I, I think I'm doing right, I end up doing wrong. And when, I, and when I'm trying to be good, and there's plenty of times I'm not trying to be good, but even when I try to be good, I fail. Please, I hope that none of you are here wanting to stay pharisaical. So I believe the reason that God gave me the tone that he gave me to rebuke that out of all of us is because the physician can't heal us if we won't admit we're sick. And his grace can't reach us. if we won't own that we're broken. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. I return to my statement that I emphasized. You'll never become what you were intended to be until you get into a habit of being honest with who you actually are. Acceptance of how broken you are, acceptance of what's wrong with you, does not mean you have to stay there. For where sin doth abound, grace grows greater. I don't care how bad it is. Some of you are afraid because there's stuff down in your heart. There's stuff that maybe you got buried from childhood. There's stuff that you've suppressed and stuff you don't want to deal with. And you're terrified if I go there, if I touch that, if I let him deal with that, if I let the word pierce even to the dividing asunder of my soul and my spirit, of my joints and my marrow, of my thoughts and my intents. I won't be able to be reached. Oh, hear me, dear saint. There is no sin that God's freely given gift of grace cannot redeem you from. There's no brokenness that he can't reach. There's no bad character that he cannot create anew. And the only thing that will stop him is if you won't be honest about your brokenness. I'm done and this altar's open. Would you come and pray?